Well, good morning, church. How are we this morning? Everyone good? That's great. My name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here, if I've not met you. And first up, we have some family news, which is awesome. Last week, after the 10 o'clock service, we voted in our new elders here at New Life Coolangatta, which is great. We have David Parker, Harry Pistol, and Katie Baldwin. And I'm really excited for this next season for New Life Coolangatta to have our own elders here at Cooley, overseeing our community and keeping me accountable on the right track. How good is that? <laughs> so good, isn't it? So we are in week three of a series called Come, Let Us Adore. It's a series about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In this season of Advent, which is the weeks leading up to Christmas, we wanted to focus on the Advent, the first coming of Jesus Christ, to align our hearts with the Christmas story to bring the gospel of hope into our world and the people around us in this season. In the first week, we explored why we need a king and how all the human kings have failed over the millennia, but one perfect king came and didn't fail. He was a servant, saviour king. And then last week, we had Pastor Anna Kustin come and taught us about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came in the flesh and what that actually meant to humanity that it brings hope and comfort, and it also brings that comfort because you know that God is with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And this week, I'm going to be exploring the historical Jesus. Jesus was a real person, was he? Or was he actually a myth? And I wanted to jump into Luke 1, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, whereas Luke's setting up, he's talking to Theophilus. Theophilus, thanks, mate. Um, And he's basically writing this gospel to lay out the truth of what everyone has heard. He's heard all of these stories. And Luke is a physician, and he likes to have things in order. So he's gone, and he's spoken to the witnesses. He's spoken to people. He goes, I'm going to write out an orderly account for you. So he says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know that the certainty of those things which you are instructed. And so Luke lays out the truth of the gospel for him. So let's pray before we get into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word, for Lord, your word is truth. We thank you that you inspired the writers of your word with your Holy Spirit. That you inspired Luke to write an orderly account of Jesus, what you came and did and accomplished through the cross. Lord, I pray that you would help me preach your word today in truth and grace. Lord, that they wouldn't look to me, but that only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I remember when you were a child... And you believed in Santa? How awesome was that, right? There was this guy that just came and gave you presents. Like you would write letters to him and you'd be like, this is what I want. Whatever you wanted on your heart as a kid, you're like, I'm going to write a letter to him. And then on Christmas Day, they would come. He'd get in his magic sleigh and he'd fly around and he'd drop presents into your living room. And as a kid, that was just amazing, right? It's what you look forward to every year. Like if you were good enough, you actually got what you wanted, But then remember when you found out he was fake? Remember you're at school and you're like, what are you getting this Christmas from Santa? And they're like, Santa's not real. And you're like, "Uh, really? You sure he's not real? 
And then you start thinking, hang on, yeah, I see him at every single shopping center. How is that possible? <laughs> he flies with magic reindeer. Really? And he fits down my chimney? I don't even have a chimney. We don't have chimneys really in Australia. So what's going on? You start putting two and two together, right? And you start thinking, wow, okay. Yeah, he just seems too good to be true. And then you start thinking, oh, what about the Easter bunny? Is that real? Maybe the Easter bunny's not real either. What about Batman? And then you think, oh, no, I saw Batman in Movie World. No, he's all right. He's real. <laughs> but what we happen is we, we have our parents that have, that have told us this story about this person. And it's the first time we actually feel like our parents have lied to us. Like we feel there's been a deep deception from the people that are actually meant to protect us. Is that how you felt? So when it comes to Jesus, this amazing figure of human history, we then think, well, is he real or is he made up like Santa? You know, my parents lied to me about Santa to stop me being naughty all year. You know, be, be good, otherwise you won't get your presents. So we're like, oh, okay. So they might be lying about God too, this mystical figure watching over all the bad stuff that I do. And we have this PTSD from Santa and the Easter Bunny, and therefore we actually struggle to trust the account of someone as amazing as Jesus. We find it hard to accept that there could have been a person who lived like Jesus, who did the things Jesus did. We find it hard to believe there's actually a human that lived out what they preached. Why? Because we don't see one as amazing as Jesus in our lives. We don't know anyone as loving as Jesus, as servant-hearted as Jesus, as present as Jesus, as perfect as Jesus, and as sacrificial as Jesus. So therefore, he must be like Santa or the Easter Bunny. And because of this PTSD, what we do is we try and dismiss the reality of Jesus Christ. We try and dismiss the historical Jesus. The amount of people that I talk to either that come and do Alpha which explores Christianity, or just people in general conversation out in the world. When I tell that I'm a pastor, they go, oh, Jesus is made up. He never existed. Like the 12 apostles, they just made this guy up because they didn't want to be part of the Jewish system anymore. He never even lived. And I remember when I first came to faith as an adult, I was like, okay, I'm hearing all this stuff. I give my life to Jesus. I'm like, okay, but I'm, I'm a bit of an intellectual guy. Like, I need to know if he existed. So I went on this journey to to see if there's actually any evidence outside of what we find in the Bible for the historical Jesus. And there's actually a theory out there called the Christ myth theory. And you'd be actually shocked how many people across the world believe this theory. And the Christ myth theory proposes that Jesus never existed. Like he never lived. He's just a figment of our imagination that we find in the Bible. But virtually all scholars reject the Christ myth theory and accept Jesus came as a human and did exist. There's actually a guy named John Dixon. Now, John Dixon, he's an Australian historian of religion, and he focuses on early Christianity and Judaism, and he's a media presenter. He's the guy on the left there, up on the screen. Now, he's an apologist for Christianity. He goes on TV, on ABC, on Q&A, and Channel 9. He's written books around the historical Jesus, and he's on many media outlets. And you might be like, oh, he's an apologist. Does he go around apologizing for Christianity? No, he doesn't apologize for it. An apologist means you actually defend the Christian faith. So you go into universities, you go on TV to defend the faith of Jesus Christ. And John actually put out a challenge to this claim that Jesus didn't exist. He's put it out in writing, he's put it out on videos, he's put it out on TV, and he says this, 
Contrary to recent atheist claims, Jesus did live. I will eat a page of my Bible if someone can find me just one full professor of ancient history, classics, or New Testament in an accredited uni who thinks otherwise. He's like, hey, if there's anyone out there who is actually credited in history or any other area that will actually come to me and say he didn't exist, I'll eat a page of my Bible. Now, that challenge has been out there for years and years and years. He even came and preached at New Life at Rabina once and put it out there again. And we live streamed that out to lots of people across the world. And no one's ever come to him to try and claim that, that he would then have to go and eat a page of his Bible. You see, the historical Jesus is not contested academically. So for anyone to claim that Jesus is a myth is a gross, grossly deceptive and it's willfully ignorant of the historical facts. It's absolute rejection of the truth and the historical facts we find about Jesus. It's actually like saying, well, Elvis Presley's a myth. He never existed. People go, what? And just to be clear, I'm talking about the historical Jesus, the fact that Jesus actually lived and was crucified. I'm not talking about whether he was God and what he accomplished through the cross. But here's the thing. This is how far humanity will go to reject Jesus. You see, if you make him a myth, if you can erase his existence, you don't have to consider his claims to be God and Savior of the world. And so it's kind of like this when we talk about Jesus. The Christian myth theory is kind of like, la, 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 la. You know when people do that? And you're just like, what are you doing? Like, that's just crazy. That's kind of the idea of people saying, well, no, he just didn't exist. It actually defies belief. Now, there was a guy who wrote a book. His name was, he was an atheist. His name was Lee Strobel. And he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. I really encourage you. There's a book you can go and read. That's the book. Or the movie. They did a movie on it as well. And it's a true story of Lee Strobel in the 1980s. He was an atheist journalist and an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And what happened is, through a series of events, his wife started attending a Christian church. And this irritated Lee, right, as an atheist. He's like, ah, so being an investigative journalist, he's like, I'm going to set out to prove that Jesus was a myth, that the resurrection didn't happen, it was fictitious. But unfortunately for Lee, the more he investigated, the more evidence he found that Jesus was crucified and actually rose again. And in the end, faced with all the overwhelming evidence and the beauty and the wonder of Jesus, his life and his sacrificial death and resurrection, Lee repented of his sins of unbelief and put his faith in Jesus. You see, faced with the facts, Lee couldn't deny the historical Jesus that he actually lived. And you say, okay, Scott, well, where's the proof? Where's the proof of this historical Jesus? Well, as we read before, at the beginning of Luke's gospel, he says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order the narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things, from the very first to write you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know certainly of those things which you are instructed. I just cannot say his name. It's, I just can't. So you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, so what we see here is we have Luke and he's saying, guess what? There are eyewitnesses. Luke is writing this in the first century. He goes, there is eyewitnesses out there, Theophilus, that, that, that you can go and talk to. <laughs> that you can actually go and say, hey, are these accounts fair income? Could you imagine trying to tell a fictitious story when there are all these eyewitnesses still around? Like they go, oh, Jesus said this. And everyone's like, no, we didn't. It would never get traction. 
But Luke's like, look, there is a multitude of witnesses you can go and ask about the, about the accounts of Jesus Christ. He says, you know what? Even the disciples, some of them are still alive. You want to go straight to the source? Go to the disciples. Go to the families. Go to the friends. You can actually go and speak to these people. You can talk to them and go, hey, is what Peter said right? And they're like, yeah. There were witnesses of like the Jewish leaders. They never denied Jesus, even to today. The Jews won't deny that Jesus lived. And then you have the Roman governors that, that actually condemned him to death. There were so many different sources you could go to and speak to to find out if the accounts were true. So you'll say, well, well, of course the Christians would write that because it helps the spread of their religion, right? Well, here's the thing, though. It's not only in Christian writings that we find the historical Jesus. There was a guy named Josephus, and he was a Jew, a first century Roman Jewish historian. So he worked for the Romans. He actually defected to the Romans, and he worked for them, and he wrote about Jewish history. He recorded Jewish history, a special emphasis on the first century, so the whole time that Jesus was alive. And some of his most important works were the Jewish war and antiquities of the Jews. And in the antiquities of the Jews, he wrote, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him in the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, are not extinct to this day. This is really interesting. This is a non-Christian. He never confessed faith in Jesus Christ. He's a historian writing for the Romans. A non-Christian declares that there was this person named Jesus. And he goes, if we can even call him a man, because he did these wonderful works. Some of the translations of this say he did miracle works. So he's writing the history that there was this man that did these beautiful miracles, these amazing works, and he was the Christ. He's naming him as the Messiah, the promised one to come, the Son of God. And then he tells us that Pilate condemned him to the cross. What that does is it puts a time and a place in history that you can then reference to through the Roman um, archives and the, the different pro-counselors that they had around in Judea at the time. And it says even that he rose from the dead, that, that people actually believe on the third day he rose from the dead and appeared to them as all the divine prophets had prophesied, and Christians were actually named after him. That they were named, Christians means actually little Christ, that they would go around and be like Christ, bringing restoration and hope to the world. So what Josephus writes is fully in line with the witness of the four Gospels, right? From the Christian historian. This is from a non-Christian historian, sorry. We have another one named Tatticus. Tatticus was a Roman historian and a politician, so he wasn't a Jew. And Tatticus was widely regarded as one of the greatest Roman historians by modern, uh, modern scholars. And he records the great fire of Rome in 64 AD that destroyed two-thirds of Rome. So two-thirds of Rome is like taken out by fire. And many believed it was actually Nero that started it. But what happened was he decided to blame the Christians. He didn't like the Christians. And because he blamed the Christians, he then went on a rampage of just executing Christians at will. And you'll actually see in that picture behind me, on the right, 
That's Christians tied up on poles with sticks around them. So what Nero would do, he would have a party at his palace out in the garden. And when it came nighttime, they would set the Christians alight, alive, to light up their party. That's how persecuted the Christians were. So Christians would light the streets so people could party. And Tatticus writes, Consequently, to get rid of the report that some of the reports were saying that Nero did it, Nero fastened the guilt of the fire and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procreators, Pontius Pilate. So we see here that Tatticus actually records that there was a, a man named Jesus, like a Christ, the Christ had come, and this religion that people were following was verified by the fact that he even records that Pontius Pilate crucified him. So again, we, we have this, this historical Jesus, the Christ, who was crucified, and it's not actually contested in the first century. It's not contested by the Jews. It's not contested by the Romans. And so Paul adds to this in 1 Corinthians 15, to 3, verses 3. He says, For I delivered to you the first of all which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen also by me as one born out of time. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church and many of the people in Corinth would never have been to Judea. They may never have been to Jerusalem. So they wouldn't have seen Jesus or heard the report. So the gospel comes into Corinth and Paul's like, hey, here's the facts. Jesus died according to the scriptures. And remember, this is the Old Testament he's talking about. He's like, Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament and he was seen by Peter and the 12 apostles. He was seen by over 500 people. And they're alive today. Some of them are still alive. So if you want to cross-reference, if you want to go and ask, there's heaps of people you can go and ask about the historical Jesus. And he says, this is why Christianity actually exploded because it wasn't just 12 guys coming up with a story. This was witnessed by hundreds and hundreds of people. And then he's seen by Paul in the end in a miraculous vision. So Paul's like, he's still manifest today. So you see that the historical Jesus is not even in question in the first century. No one is saying that Jesus was a mythical figure. The only question was, what did Jesus do? What did his life, death, and resurrection accomplish? We need to understand, this is what the Gospels were written to answer, to answer that question. So now the historical Jesus is true, and the death and the crucifixion are all historically agreed on. Then the next question is, is Jesus the Son of God? Or is he just some guy who lived 2,000 years ago and did crazy miracles and was just a good moral teacher? You see, once we recognize that Jesus lived and died on the cross, the only thing you can do then is reduce his claims of being the Son of God and just simply make him a good moral teacher. There's an issue with this, though. What kind of moral teacher would he be if he lied about his identity and told everyone he was the Son of God and came to save humanity but he wasn't God or able to save. He'd simply be a liar, right? He'd be 
a deceiver of billions of people for the last 2,000 years. That is not a good moral teacher. C.S. Lewis actually puts it this way. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. There's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or on the level with a man who says he's approached egg. Or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not that left that open to us and he didn't attend to. You see, if Jesus came and lied about his identity, he would be a crazy man. He would not be a great moral teacher. And here's the point of the gospel. The gospel is not there to teach us that. The gospel is there to tell us who he really is. And we need to make the choice on that. Jesus calls us to make a choice on the claim of his divinity. And here's where we get most confused. We get confused on Jesus' divinity. We find, it, we find this concept <clears throat> really hard to comprehend in our own mind, right? Like we need to understand Jesus is totally different to every other human being because Jesus is the begotten of God, born of a virgin. We are simply made in the image of God. We are a creation of God. We are not God. But Jesus claimed to be God. He's not created like us. Jesus claims to be the begotten son of God, the very nature of God in the flesh. And as Anna so rightly preached last week, Jesus was God in the flesh. And the theological term for that is the incarnation of Christ. God coming in the flesh. But what does begotten mean? What does it mean that Jesus is begotten of God? Well, C.S. Lewis speaks about what it means to be begotten. He says, we don't use the words begetting or begotten much in modern English, but everyone still knows what they mean. To beget is to become the father of. To create is to make. And the difference is this. When you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. A man begets human babies. A beaver begets little beavers. A bird begets eggs which turn into little birds. But when you make, you make something of a different kind from yourself. So a bird makes a nest. A a beaver builds a dam. A man makes a radio. Or he may make something more like himself than a radio, say a statue. If he's clever enough to carve it, he may make a statue very like man indeed. But of course, it's not a real man. It only looks like one. It cannot breathe or think. It's not alive. Now, this is the first thing we need to get clear. What God begets is God. Just as what man begets is man. What God creates is not God. And just as what man creates is not man. That's why men are not sons of God in the sense that Christ is. They may be like God in certain ways, but they are not the things of the same kind. They are more like statues or pictures of God. So what C.S. Lewis says is, he says, we are a creation of God. We don't come from God. We are a creation of God. God makes us. We are in the image of God. We are like God, but we are not God. But when you beget something, man begets man, beaver begets beaver, God then must beget God, right? Like I said before, we are made in the image of God. And we get that from Genesis 1.27, 
But notice what it says. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Just like in C.S. Lewis's explanation, we're like the statue. We are created, created in the image of God. We're different from God. We are not begotten. We are nowhere near the holiness and the splendor and the majesty of God. We are just a simply an image of him. But here's the scandalous claim that Jesus makes. Jesus claims to be the begotten of God. He says, I am God. And in John 3, 16 to 18, we hear Jesus talking to Nicodemus about the gospel, about how one is to be saved. And you've got to remember, these are Jesus' own words. This is what Jesus claims. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who believes, does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is talking to a religious ruler, a teacher of the law, a teacher of the Jews, and he says to him, I am the Son of God. And he says, I'm the only begotten Son of God. There is only one. There's only one begotten of God, and it's Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is the begotten of God, and God can only beget God, through C.S. Lewis' explanation, we know that, that Jesus is divine. So here's the real question that all of you humanity needs to answer. Is Jesus the Son of God? Not is he a mythical figure, not is he a good moral teacher, is he who he claims to be? Is the historical Jesus' claim to be God true? And actually, Jesus himself asked his disciples this very question in Matthew 16. He says to them, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus goes, Hey, who does everyone say that I am? Like you've been hearing them, you've been talking to them. Who are they saying I am? And they're like, well, you know, they say you, you, you're Elijah or you're John the Baptist. You're Elijah, the one that was going to come and prepare the way for the Messiah. Some people are saying you're just a prophet like Jeremiah because you're doing all these crazy works. And they tell Jesus who society thinks he is and what everyone else is saying. What if Jesus came to you today and asked the same question? What if he came to us and says, hey, who do people say I am? Well, we'd say to him, well, Jesus, some people say you're a myth. Some people say you're just a good moral teacher. Some say you're just a peace-loving hippie from the first century. Some say you're actually irrelevant to modern society and philosophy. You're, you're outdated. But then Jesus asked this next question. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? You see, what we need to understand is that question is directed to the disciples and it's directed to us. It's not about what everyone else's opinions are. Everyone else's opinions about who Jesus Christ is doesn't matter. Jesus comes to you and says, who do you say I am? You see, we are going to stand before God on the day of judgment and we can't say, oh, I didn't know who you were because so-and-so said you're a myth. God's going to say, yeah, but who did you say I was? Oh, well, I didn't know you, God, because, you know, I thought the Bible was just a joke. Yeah, but who do you say I am? See, we're going to be stand before him because salvation is personal faith in Jesus. We can't go off our parents' faith. We can't go off what the society says. 
And Hebrews 11.6 that David brought up this morning, and I just threw it in while we're doing announcements. It's amazing. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Because faith is believing that Jesus Christ existed, that he actually lived and what he accomplished on the cross for us was true. And so he says to his disciples in verse 15, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter declares, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You are God. You are the begotten of God. And Jesus says to Peter, you got it right, mate. I am the son of God. And upon that confession, upon that truth, I'm going to build my church. And all of humanity must answer that one question. All of humanity must individually answer that and be judged on the answer to that question that they give. Is Jesus the Son of God? If Jesus is the Son of God, then his death, burial, and resurrection are the most important events in human history. If Jesus is not the Son of God, then none of it matters. His moral teachings don't matter. We can be totally ignorant and ignore that because he didn't live. But we believe Jesus is the Son of God and therefore everything we read in the Bible about Jesus and what Jesus said and accomplished is of the utmost importance to us individually and for the flourishing of humanity. You know, most of the time, people reject Jesus and his claims because of external factors. You know, when I talk to people, they go, oh, it's all a joke, you know, I knew this church once and they ripped me off, or this church did this, or I know the church in history with the Inquisition, they went and killed thousands of people. And I'm like, yeah, they did. That doesn't mean that was God's plan. That's just humans being humans, right? We mess up. Or people say, oh, I know a Christian, they're the worst person I know. They're so vindictive. They're so nasty. I'm like, yeah, we, well, we can be, right? Because we're not perfect. We're not Jesus. And so they reject Jesus because of how Christians act. Or I know a pastor. Or I know this or I know that. And it's like the question we should be asking, especially in this season, yeah, but who do you say Jesus is? Like, yes, all of that humanity is broken and we don't get it right. But, but focus on Je- who is Jesus to you? And I would just encourage him. I say, hey, read the Gospels. Don't make your decision on me as a pastor. Don't make your decision on a Christian you know. Don't make a decision on the church and how they burnt people. Go to the Gospels. Look at the person of Jesus and make a decision on him because I know that Jesus won't disappoint. Does a band want to come up? I love how John finishes his Gospel in John twenty thirty. He says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing you may have life in his name. John's like, do you, know, want, to, you want to know why I wrote all this stuff in the gospel? Do you know, want, to, want to know why I sat down and, and put it all on paper? I want you to know that he is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, that he is the begotten of God, the only begotten of God. And in his name, in faith in who he is, that he'll give you life. John wrote the gospel to answer the question that matters in this life, the only question, and that is, is Jesus the Son of God? Because if he is and we put our faith and trust in him, we have eternal life. This is the whole point of the gospel. This is the whole point of why they wrote the four gospels. That Jesus himself, the incarnate God himself, came in the flesh. That he humbled himself. 
And when he went to the cross, he bore our sins and the sins of the entire world. He didn't leave us in our mess. He says, I'm the only begotten of God. I come from God, but you know what? I'm going to lay my life down for you and for all people who come after you. That anyone who repents and puts their faith and trust in Jesus would have life just like John says. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the only question that we'll stand before God and answer for. Are we covered by His blood or are we not? So here's the question the historical Jesus is asking you today. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Are you listening to the world? Who do you say I am? Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you today. We humbly bow before you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come and fill this room right now. And hear the words of Jesus Christ. Who do you say I am? And answer that. Talk to him. Be honest with him. Open your heart to him. Some of us have accepted that he is God, but, but when we go and try and follow him, we act like we don't. And Jesus is asking you today, who do you say I am? Just answer that question between you and him. And Lord, we come before you, we repent of times where our lives and our actions don't reflect our declaration of who you are. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And you might be sitting there and you've never received the historical Jesus. You've never understood that Jesus was the only begotten of God and that he loved you so much that he laid his life down for you. And he's simply beckoning you, saying, who do you say I am? Today's the day you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ the one who loves you, the one who wants to bring life and life in all its fullness to you. And simply you can just repent. Repent of your sin. Repent of your unbelief. You can just say, God, I believe you are the Son of God, that you died for my sins, that you rose again on the third day. And I thank you for forgiveness of sin through your blood and say God fill me with your Holy Spirit that I would walk hand in hand with you the rest of the days of my life Lord I thank you for each and every person here I thank you God that you're working in hearts and minds that you would soften our hearts to walk in a way that is in line with what we declare about you that Jesus you are God. And our worship to you is obedience and thankfulness. God, we love you and we praise you. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you like to stand with us if you're able?